If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6 for a few moments, and, um, and don't ever trust a preacher when he says a few moments, amen? That could be a few hours, but it'll try to, I'll try to be brief this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, I knew some things were going to start taking place. That was a panic on the restrooms. They are now open. I was about to call those people and tell them what I thought about their craftsmanship, but uh, it, was a, it was an oversight. Uh, over-exaggeration. We're just panicking because we're so used to the problem, but uh, I think these folks did a great job out in the rain Friday, and I believe it's fixed. Amen? And then uh, we thank God for nobody injured on the uh, van accident, and uh, thank the Lord for that. And uh, i tell you one thing, I found out that every record service in Dalton, Georgia is in church because nobody will answer. Amen? So thank God for that. Amen? Y'all believe that? Say amen. Don't say amen because I don't believe it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18. I want to preach on the greater vision of the Christian life. I'd like to say a deeper vision. Let me just say this. If you could see the invisible warfare for five minutes, it'd change your whole life. If you could see what's going on in the spiritual world, it would change your life forever. And that's what I want to preach on this morning. And I got this from Josh McNeese. He, uh, after he found his brother in that tragic death, he wrote a post about the warfare and how his brother lost the warfare and had a terrible, terrible ending to his life. And, but his, his last moment was his worst moment, but his worst moment was not his defining moment. Amen? Because he had a great life. And he got saved at this church because of some of you Sunday school teachers and the preacher, of course, planting the Word of God in his soul, and that was brought out at the funeral, and I didn't even think about him being saved in this church as a junior boy. And so, but you know, the next moment after his worst moment was his greatest moment, because he's in heaven, and heaven is a wonderful place. And if y'all want to talk about that privately, I will. Now next Sunday, we're going to give a Bible away in honor of Miss Ann Grigsby, and I want to get all the loved ones here. That's why I do that. Y'all pardon the expression. I do anything I can to get people in church, and special occasions, whatever, because it's harder and harder to get people in church. But we're going to present a Bible to some young child that's never had a Bible or needs a Bible in memory of uh, Alan's mom. And uh, we just thank God for that opportunity. It would be a great chance for you to invite some loved ones to be here for this special presentation. And, of course, we'll preach the Word of God. Let's stay in all the Word of God. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, he had to be a Baptist preacher because he preached 20 more minutes after saying in closing, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I want to show you the deeper vision. I want you to see the greater vision of this Christian life. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, or we just work out all the time, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, uh, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. What a promise. 
and to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And here's the key, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I could say for all soldiers, but it says all saints. Amen? You may be seated. Father, help us enlarge our vision, enlighten our vision of what the Christian life is really about. And Lord, I don't believe it's just having a good time and coming to church and going home and living defeated. But Lord, there's a warfare and there is an enemy and there is a devil and his imps and all the demons of hell would like to try to interrupt this service. He's tried this morning. But Lord, we know he's a defeated foe. The truth shall be preached no matter what. And Lord, I pray to your God that you'd help us to see the battle and be battle ready. God, we're not just soldiers, we're warriors because we're in a war. And Lord, the devil is trying overtime because I believe his days are numbered. And so Lord, as the, as the battle intensifies, may we, God, draw close to you during this battle see the victory. In Jesus' name, thank you for the victory that's won at Calvary. Amen. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 10, 6, verse 10, it says that we ought to walk in the power of his might. You know, a lot of people think the Christian life is just getting saved and having a good time and hallelujah, praise God, and it should be. But I want to tell you something, friend. This week I've been reminded of fresh and anew what a warfare we're in. And the devil has many wiles or many methods to try to destroy you, discourage you, divide you, and devour you. We're in a warfare. We ought to take it serious. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have Bible study. That's why we have Wednesday night prayer meeting and going through the book of uh, Daniel on Wednesday night and Bible study, youth meetings, uh, the master club. It's because we're in a warfare and many people are going down in this warfare. Right. And folks, many Christians don't even realize there's a warfare. They don't care. They're just, they're just coasting through the Christian life. And the Bible describes the Christian life as a war. Look at 2 Timothy, just next door, 2 Timothy um, chapter um, uh, 2. And look at verse 3 and 4, what Paul describes the Christian life. I talk about a greater vision of the Christian life. It says... Then thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a what? Soldier. A soldier. God help us to realize that we are soldiers for Jesus. Amen. Sometimes the only time we're reminded of that is in vacation Bible school. When we sing the little song, Homework Christian Soldier, and we march, we used to march around this place all the time singing that little song. But it's more than just a song. It's reality. And if you're going to realize that, or if you're going to have um, victory in your Christian life, you've got to realize what you're, who's, who you're uh, going against. And you can't handle him. His name's the devil. And I'm going to tell you something. The devil can take your life. The devil can take... Listen, the devil can take your sanity, the devil can take your joy, but he cannot take your salvation. Say amen. 
I want to give you an illustration. I want you to listen very closely because this is exactly depicts the Christian, most Christians and how they look at the Christian life. It was in 1845. Listen now, 1845, a man named John Franklin, all you history buffs, I know you know John Franklin very well. He left England to discover the Northwest Passageway, a seaway for ships from the Canadian Arctic region that connected the Atlantic Pacific Ocean. He took with him on this expedition, 138 specially chosen men from the Royal Navy. No one knew what was lied ahead, lay, lay ahead, especially those men, those soldiers. And these men did not even seem to be aware of the severe weather conditions that they would encounter around the North Pole. And none of these, they, uh, nonetheless, they sailed off in, the, in two state-of-the-art ships. Each ship was equipped with, equipped with auxiliary steam engines, a huge storeroom that could hold 12 days' supply of coal. Now listen, that's key. 12 days of coal uh, should steam power ever be needed during their voyage. The men were confident in their quest as the ship sailed off amidst the imperial pomp and glory, but they were unprepared. They were unprepared. They had not planned thoroughly enough for what lie ahead in the ice-filled waters off northern Alaska. In fact, the only clothing they took were their uniforms and a thin overcoat provided by Her Majesty's Navy. Her Majesty's Navy. And two months after their departure, a British whaler made contact with the two ships off the coast of Canada. It was the last European to see them alive. Search parties would spend 12 years retracing the path of Franklin's expedition. And eventually some of the puzzle was uh, pieced together. The expedition had evidently been stalled by icy waters. Eskimos reported seeing men pushing a wooden boat across the ice. The members of the search party saw a haunting sight at the Simpson Strait, three wooden masts, of one of the ships protruding up through the ice. Amid all the findings, the most devastating of all was the discovery that neither ship had stocked their coal supply. In fact, they had both turned their huge storeroom into a lounge filled with 1,200 volumes of, of books, an organ, and even a cupboard space for eloquent place settings of China and silver of all, for all the officers. One historian said that the Franklin expedition was prepared for the weather conditions inside the Royal Navy Officers Club, not the Arctic Ocean. And one search party found 30 frozen bodies in a tent near the water's edge. The officers were dressed in their overcoats with their silk scarves still in place. These men were confident their hopes were high but they were not prepared for the challenge of the expedition. Folks, that's a picture of most Christians today. Unfortunately, most Christians today do not realize what we're against and what we're in. We are in a warfare. And folks, by putting on the whole armor of God, we become ready in this warfare. And we can stand the test of time, of temptation and trouble. I look around and a lot of you have been through trouble. I've never seen our church go through so many surgeries and so many 
uh, deaths and heartaches. And folks, that's life. And folks, but I'm going to tell you something. If you're not careful, the devil can use that to discourage you, to deter you, and to distract you. I'll announce today at 5.30, but we prayed for a young man last week in the prayer room. And folks, God did a miraculous work this week in this young man's life. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. Don't take for granted what happens at 5.30 in that little room back there. You can be a Martha if you want to, but I'd rather be a Mary at his feet saying, I can't handle this warfare. And I can't change people's lives. And I can't help and encourage people. But you can, Lord. So we fall on our knees and that's the only time that we apply the armor of God is when we pray by faith, believing. And as a church together, God can change people's lives. We've seen miracle after miracle as a result of that prayer, little prayer meeting at 5.30 on Sunday afternoon. Oh, I don't think it's very important. I know you don't. You never come. But I want to tell you something, it's very important. It's so important, it's a matter of life or death on the warfare. The Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. No good soldier enters a battle without being fully prepared and fully protected. Likewise, God doesn't expect us to go to war unarmed. and He has given us an armor and weapons we need for the fight. And he expects us to use them. It's just like those men had that big room that they could fill with coal and they filled it with china and they filled it with books and they turned the coal room into a library so they could read more and enjoy the trip. It was an expedition in icy waters and they all froze to death. True history, 1835, because they took for granted the trip and the mission. Our mission Verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 6 is to stand. It says, stand therefore. Verse 13, our mission, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're to wrestle. I don't like wrestling. That was my worst sport because I was always little and the big guys always sat on me. But I want to tell you this. Now I could sit on them, praise God. But I'm going to tell you this. Folks, wrestling's rough. Wrestling's contact. Wrestling's not fun. And folks, this Christian life is not designed just to be fun. This Christian life is designed to be victorious for his glory. Amen. Look at verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you, may be with us, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles means methodology. He's got a strategy to destroy you. He's got a strategy to shorten your life. He's got a strategy for you to just waste your life. You know, some people come to church and they waste coming to church. They don't listen. They don't listen because they don't apply it. And they don't, they don't respond. And folks, why is the emphasis of standing? Because the purpose of the armor is to help us stand that we won't lose ground that Jesus has won for us. We need to take back the ground the devil's stolen. Amen. Say amen. We need to take back the ground that the devil has stolen. He has stolen many marriages. He's destroyed many children. And folks, I want to tell you something. We need to say enough is enough and begin to fight in the fullness of the Spirit of God and put on the whole armor of God. Amen. Folks, this is serious. This is very serious. I mean, the warfare is serious. If you don't believe there's a warfare, just go through troubles and trials and 
See how the devil tries to discourage you. I mean, the greatest man of God I know uh, goes through discouragement and depression and sometimes even wrestles against accepting the will of God. You've been there. You've done that. But I want to tell you something. As Josh said in his little post, and it was tremendous thoughts, he said, hey, the devil doesn't go after a Judas. He goes after a Paul in the making. A Paul in the making. He was talking about his brother. With heartbrokenness, he wrote those words that touched my heart because I knew it was out of a heart of brokenness. Brokenness. I'm going to skip down and just show you how the devil works. You say, why has this morning been so rough on everything? I mean, when they got me, pulled me out of Sunday school, I said, yep, I knew something was going to happen. They come down here and says, all the bathrooms won't flush. I said, oh, well, that's, that's part of the course. So what else is going to happen? You say, oh, those are just little things. Yeah, they're little things, but they could be big things if the devil gets a hold of them That's right. and if he distracts you from this service. I want to give you the soldier's responsibility. That's the, this, is the, this is the Christian life. You're, you're a soldier. And so many people are so slack, so AWOL, so casual. Soldiers cannot be casual when it comes to worship and when it comes to prayer, when it comes to punctuality and obedience and and being right where you need to be for God's glory. Because if you could see the invisible war for one second, you would fall on your face right now before this service is over and beg God for help. Amen. 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 It's an invisible war, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a war of, with Satan trying to defeat you. His demons trying to defeat you. What's the responsibility? We must know our enemy. We must put on the equipment. Number three, we need to depend upon his power. Three little E's, his energy. Who is the enemy? Well, Satan has many strategies, many devices, and he attacks the believer. He tries to get him to doubt God's word. He tries to divide our allegiance. If he can get you just divided, he's got you where he wants you. I mean, if you're more loyal to your job or to your wife or to your children, he's got you right where he wants you. Because see, our loyalty ought to be to Christ. Our number one priority ought to be Christ. He ought to be preeminent. Satan's real, Satan's strong, and Satan's powerful. Can somebody say amen? And his strategies are subtle and sometimes deadly. I'm mad at the devil. I've been mad at the devil all week. Think about how many people are brokenhearted today because of the devil, people giving in to the devil. Folks, he's well organized. He has a whole army of demons. He commands them. Our enemy can be defeated, though, if we'll just put on the whole armor of God. Amen. Know your enemy. Wear all the armor. Look at verse 13 now. Let's get into it. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Have you ever noticed when the great men and women of the Bible sinned, they always failed in the area of their greatest strength? Think about it for a second. Abraham, his greatest strength was faith. And go to Genesis chapter 12 sometime. I don't have time to go there right now. Verse 10 and 12, he lied about his wife because he was afraid to die. 
he failed in the strongest point, his faith. Go to Moses. Moses' greatest strength was meekness. He lost his temper and killed a man. He smote a rock instead of speaking to it, as the Bible told him to do. He lost the privilege of going into the promised land. The meekest man on earth lost his meekness. So don't think that you're beyond the attack of Satan because you're so spiritually strong. Peter, he fell in the greatest area of strength, his courage. He denied and cussed and said, I don't even know him. David's greatest strength was integrity. He was a man after God's own heart. By God's own words, he said that. And he ended up lying and leading a double life and committing adultery and killing somebody. David's greatest strength was his integrity. That's where he failed. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against organized demonic conspiracy, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of the world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so I want to close this message, and I'll continue tonight. That's what I love about Sunday night. We don't have to rush this Sunday morning and preach all Sunday afternoon. And all God's people said, thank God I ain't going to be here two hours. Somebody told me just recently, he said, I like this church because it's only about 20 minutes. I said, well, you probably won't like ours then. But uh, we need to recognize how, God, this, how Satan works, the God of this world. And we can learn much about Satan's tactics by the different pieces of armor. If God said put on these armors, he knows how the devil attacks. And so by putting on this armor or recognizing what this armor is all about, we can tell how the devil works, his strategy, and not be defeated. And you say, well, I don't think I'll be defeated. Many people that went down said they would not be defeated. The first tactic that Satan successfully uses against us is division. He tries to divide our loyalty so that we're not concentrating and concentrated on the battle. James 1.8 says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways and don't think you can ask the thing from the Lord. He won't answer your prayers. The Bible says in Matthew 6 we can't love manna and God at the same time. We can't fall in love with our money. What is our weapon against Satan's divisiveness? He wants to divide. Hey, he wants to divide your home. He wants to divide your family. He wants to isolate as he did Brandon. He wants to isolate through doctrine. Uh, he wants to get you away from your daddy and away from your brothers. You better watch false doctrine. It's damnable heresy. Especially hyper-Calvinism. I'll say it and go on record saying it. You can get obsessed and get divided and distant. You better stay on track. You better stay in the church. You better stay in the word. What is the weapon Satan uses against the devices? Look at verse 14 then. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Truth. Folks, the truth is, number one truth, is we're in a battle. I've said this too many times. Y'all tired of the illustration? But it spoke to my heart, so I want to speak to you again. In the battle, they had robes. If the robe was not tucked in, girded up in the belt of truth like Hercules, then they were immobile. And the enemy could take that robe and throw it over their head and chop their head off. 
Folks, a person that's battle ready is girded up. And that belt, that belt of truth is the truth that we're in a battle. But the belt of truth is also this. The truth is the battle's been won at Calvary. Take that devil. Take that demons of hell that's trying to invade this service. Say, preacher, you've already lost it. You're getting too spooky. That's what's wrong with you. You're not spooky enough. You ought to be spiritual enough to realize there's a battle that you do not know, that you do not see, but when you go down, you'll realize you've lost it. And when your family's devastated by division and your wife walks off into the sunset, you're going to find out there's a devil. When you find out your kids leave and go to the world and go to the devil and go to the flesh or even go to uh, uh, killing themselves, you'll find out there's a battle. Don't say they're in the battle. There's a raging, roaring battle for your kids and for your marriage and for your sanity and for your dedication. There's a battle. I believe we're just too casual. We got a casual movement going on today where everything's just contemporary, fun, and casual, and don't take it too far. Just come have fun with us for an hour and let's be like the world, act like the world, and look like the world. There's a battle. And folks, I want to tell you something. You'll fight in integrity of the truth that we have the truth, the Word of God. The battle. Is the truth. The truth is, victory is ours. The truth is, the Word of God is the truth. The truth is, we're in a battle. Well, I'm just going to sit here and endure this for about 45 minutes and I'm going to get it over and pay my religious duty. You've already lost the battle. Because you have not taken this boot camp for what it is to equip you to have victory over Satan. The devil's real. If you don't believe it, walk with me this past week and see the heartbreak and heartache. Satan's not only a divider, he's a denouncer. He's an accuser. Look at verse 14. It says, and put on the breastplate, and having the breastplate of righteousness. You know what the devil loves to do? He loves to tempt you, and then he loves to see you fall and then he loves to accuse you of being such a crummy Christian. Pardon the word crummy, but that's exactly what he says to me. You're a crummy Christian. You shouldn't be depressed today. You shouldn't be discouraged today. You shouldn't be defeated today. You shouldn't worry today. I know I shouldn't. And until I get on my knees, I do. But I want to tell you something. In the Spirit, we're more than conquerors. In the spirit, we have victory that's won at Calvary. But until then, I'm going to tell you something, the devil will accuse you of being a sorry Christian. He'll accuse you of not being able to pray. He'll accuse you of not being a good husband. He'll accuse you of not being a good wife. He'll accuse you of not being a good parent. Oh, is that not a challenge? How many has got teenagers? Say amen right there. No offense, teenagers. Y'all a handful. I know I was, say amen, praise God. I was, a, I was a handful before I became a teenager. But folks, we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is that? It's imputed righteousness. We're saved, 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 praise God. By the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of God is transplanted to our heart and the, our sin was transplanted to his heart at Calvary. It's imputed righteousness. 
Then number three, Satan is a destroyer. The only way to stand against the devil is found in this next verse. It says, and I lost it. Yeah, verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Amen. You know, there's one thing that I've seen about fans that are different than people on the field. I used to play soccer. And I never saw in the stands people show up with cleats on. I mean, they'll show up with everything else, helmets and, you know, all kinds of garb and no shirt with the team written all over them. Sell. I mean, Comanche Indians, praise God. I mean, especially those Georgia Bulldogs fans. They ain't got a lick of sense. But did I say that? Satan is a destroyer. And the way he wants to destroy you is to get you to fall and slip. And folks, the only way to stand firm is with the cleats of the gospel. It says shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Folks, standing in peace. You know what that means? We're resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Death, burial, resurrection. There it is. We're shod with the gospel of peace. Peace with God, peace of God. And we're not falling to pieces. And we're steady and we're, we're firm. If the soldier ever lost his footing, he was a dead man. It was hand-to-hand combat in the Bible days. They must stand firm. They're shod, shod with, with cleats, their long metal spikes, and they would dig in and fight the battle. Folks, a lot of us are sliding and a lot of us are backsliding, and a lot of us are slipping, and a lot of us are wallowing in our own self-pity, but we ought to stand in the gospel of the truth. We're saved, saved, saved by the grace of God. Past, present, and future tense. Number four, I'm showing you how the devil works now. This is why he's really tried. You would not believe some of the things he tried this weekend. In my mind, in my heart, because he knew this message was going to be against him. And if you don't think preaching's a warfare, that's why you ought to encourage your preacher by looking halfway interested. Amen. Say amen right there. I'm just saying, listen, praise God. I was on the front row uh, trying my best to, to help Brother Jeremy as he's losing his voice Wednesday. He said, how did I do besides my voice? I said, you did great. Praise God. Amen. What if I said, you know, that was the lousiest message I ever heard in my life. You ain't never preaching again. That would really been encouraging, wouldn't it? I try to encourage the preacher because I'm going to tell you some all of the demons of hells against this message right now. Amen. And I wish you could preach for about 35 minutes and see how it, how it is up here. It is not some entertainment. It's not some oratorical ability. It's proclaiming the truth and the devil's against it. Yes. I agonize on this message. Yes. We stand in the peace because of the shod with the preparation of the gospel. And so he tries to destroy us. And then not only does Satan try to divide us and denounce us, accuse us, and destroy us, but he uses doubt as a means to defeat us. How do I know he did? Because look at verse 16. It says, and above all, take the shield of faith. Above all, take the shield of faith. Shield of faith. Above all. We need to fight this battle with faith. Folks, the Christian life is faith. 
Folks, if we do it by feelings, you won't be here much. And you won't get a thing out of this. If you come here by your feelings, you probably won't come here. And if you do, you'll miss the whole blessing because you're waiting on some feeling. Folks, the greatest feeling is getting right with God and trusting God with your life. Besides not throwing doubt at us, folks, I mean, he he wants you to doubt God. He wants you to doubt doubt that he's able. He wants to doubt the will of God. He wants to doubt yourself. He wants to doubt your children. He wants to doubt your mate. He just he wants you to be full of doubt. And folks, I want to tell you something. The word of God is true. Amen. God is faithful. Amen. And the work of Calvary is enough. Hallelujah. And the devil tries to continually get us to doubt our faith, yes. our trust, our walk with God. He wants to regulate us to religion. He wants us to go through the motions of being spiritual. And besides, number five, throwing doubt at us, here's the, here's the number two tool besides pride he uses. He likes to discourage us. He's a great discourager. Have you ever had a discouraging time in your life? The rest of you get born. And get born again. Because I'm going to tell you something. Once you start going for God, it's just like Josh says. He don't go after the Judases. He goes after the Pauls and the making. The Apostle Pauls and the making. He tries to stop your ministry. Satan likes to discourage. He likes to set us back. He likes to frustrate us. How many's been ever, How many's ever been frustrated in your life? Sure you have. Especially in the Christian life. I'm so frustrated until we're ready to quit. I wish I, could, I wish I could just tell you how thankful I am for these 42 years because I've seen so many of my friends just quit. So discouraged. I mean, so despondent. Out of the ministry. Satan knows when a soldier loses hope, he's got him. What can we do to Fight the feeling of discouragement. Well, here it is in verse 17. What can we do to fight the feeling of hopelessness? Here it is in verse 17. And Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen. I want to dwell just a second on the helmet of salvation. My time's up, so I'll have to develop it tonight. But I want to tell you something. If the devil can do anything, and I'll read Josh's letter tonight too, because it was, it was outstanding. If the devil can do one thing in your life, he wants to get you confused about your salvation. If he can really defeat you, he'll get you defeated in doubting your salvation. In um, not enjoying your salvation, not having the joy of the Lord. He'll, he'll get you uh, questioning your salvation and then he'll get you relaxed in your salvation where you don't witness to anybody because you're not thrilled that you're saved. And so he goes, he works on the mind. The helmet covers the mind, the brain. And that helmet covers the fact that you are saved, past tense, by the blood of the Lamb. That you're being saved by the power of the Spirit. Say amen. 
You're sanctified. You're being sanctified. You're present tense saved. You're saved from the very uh, penalty of sin. But then you're saved from the power of sin. And there's where the devil wants to blind you and confuse you and numb you to the fact that you can in this present time have victory over all these other things because you are saved and saved and being saved. Are you with me? Sanctification, set aside. But then there's another level of salvation that he, he wants you to put the helmet of salvation on and that's glorification. One day, we're going to be out of here. And that's going to be glory for you and glory for me and glory for him because there is a heaven. And folks, if the devil can get you to doubt the future of salvation, he's got you right where he wants you. And you will go to the funeral home with no hope. And when you lose your loved one, you will get bitter I'm talking about bitter enough to keep you out of church. Bitter enough to turn them all that's godly and good. But I want to tell you something, folks. The helmet of salvation protects this mind and the darts of Satan that wants to say, I don't know if you're really saved, but you might be saved, but you can't handle me now. You're not being saved. And listen, in the future, there's just death. He's got you right where he wants you. Let me just say this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. And I, I got to quit right now. Because I know you can't take more than 45 minutes and I can't either. I can't even listen to myself more than 45. By the way, if you take notes, it'd help you stay awake. Amen. I was watching Charles Stanley this morning. He's about as old as Methuselah. And boy, everybody in that auditorium taking notes. Those highfalutin First Baptist Church of Atlanta, they were taking notes. I said, man, they ain't a person asleep in this whole auditorium. Now, he's a great preacher. Amen. But I want to tell you something. These people were taking notes. I said, praise God. That's good. You remember eight times more if you take notes. Remember that, students, when you go to school, you ought to take some notes, amen? Where was I going? First Thessalonians. I, I knew. I just want to see if he was listening. But look, look at this. First Thessalonians Chapter 5, verse 8. Okay, real quick. The Bible says, For God, for let us, let us who are the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And let me give you the biblical definition for hope. That means a hope that you know so. Amen. It's like the hope chest, praise God. I'm telling you, friend, it says, For God hath not appointed us. Look at verse 9 now, are you with me? For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He said, put on the helmet of salvation. Next verse says, and he's not appointed you to wrath once you put on that helmet. You will not lose your salvation no matter what. A lot of people have asked me this week, well, what about that? Is that called him to go to hell instead of heaven? No. Not if he's truly saved. But I want to tell you something. There's a real shame and there's a real mistake there and there's also a real loss of rewards there because folks, we're not to play God 
God is the author and finisher of our life. Amen. And we're not to commit suicide on the installment plan either, smokers. That's right. Dopers. I hate to say this from the pulpit, overeaters. That yes. hurts even to say it. <laughs> people don't take care of themselves. Men, people won't take the medicine. Your wife has to hit you over with a pill bottle every morning. Take your medicine. Come on now, I know some of you. It's not that we're arrogant or, or, or rebellious. We're just forgetful, amen? We, I'm glad some of y'all smiling. Praise God, I know you're alive. But listen, we know that there is a finish line. Amen. You're listening good this morning, son. There is a finish line. I'm going to tell you what keeps me going, Brother Daryl, is that one day I'm crossing that finish line. One day the battle's over. One day I'm going to heaven and praise God, until then, I want to be faithful. I want to be steadfast. I want to be unmovable. I just want to be faithful to God. I don't want to give up, give in, give, give in to this, of Satan's lies and doubts and discouragement and division and get devastated and denounced by Satan. And many of my friends have. I just want to cross the line saying he finished his course. He kept the faith. Amen. He fought a good fight. Brother Lamar, I want to finish right. Just want to finish right. And so many people are not finishing right. And I will tell you why. Because they forgot the future tense saved. And one day we're going to face Jesus. We're going to give account of our being saved. And thank God we're going to get a give account of getting over being saved. And that's why we must put on the helmet of salvation. We need to know that we know that we know that we're saved, saved, saved. And even in the strength that you have, David, even the strength that you have, Moses, even the strength that you have, Abraham, the devil can attack you in that strength and get you to fall to shame if you don't put on the whole armor of God. Tonight, in verse 18, I'm going to give you how to put it on. Not to be a put on, but how to apply the whole armor of God. And I want to read this letter from Josh because I'm going to tell you something, friend. He saw a terrible sight last Friday week. You know, man will never get over. But shortly after that, God gave him a tremendous insight on the warfare. The warfare. Let's stop playing church. Let's stop fooling around in our Christian life. And let's dig a deep, deep trench of prayer. Let's put on the whole armor of God breastplate, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, girded up with a belt of truth and across the belt of truth had a sash and it had all the medals of past victories. We ought to have the sash of Calvary. That's our past victory. Amen. And it affects our present victory. 
and it affects our future victory. And I'm going to just say this, friend. The death, burial, and resurrection will set you free. Father, use this message as we continue tonight. I've run out of time. I can't keep these people two hours. I can't even finish this. But I want to finish my life faithful. Lord, I pray, dear God, for those that are battling Satan right now. Brother Gary that's laying up down there in his dear home, his dear wife, his dear children. Lord, I guess because they're family, I have them on my heart a little too much. But God, give them grace in the battle. Give them peace in the midst of the storm. Help them not let the gentle Savior pass them by. It wants to give them comfort, peace, joy, purpose, and power. God, be with our brother. God, be with our brother Johnny. Josh, Matthew, the wife, the little 12-year-old son. Lord, help us. They're going through battles that only God knows in our mind to try to discourage us, try to defeat us. Lord, thank you that we can put on the helmet of salvation And tonight, the only offensive weapon that we have, that we can take up the sword of the Spirit. And God, we can divide asunder the attacks and lies and wiles and strategy of the devil and see light, hope, peace, purpose, your precious plan for your precious glory in the midst of the battle. Lord, I've been shook this week. I try to put myself in some people's places and I can't. I can't imagine the heartache. I can't imagine the shock. I can't imagine the attack of Satan. But Lord, may we pray for these that's going through a horrendous battle. And may we pray the whole armor of God on them. And we pray that they yield to the whole armor of God as we pray for all saints. Because all of us are soldiers in the battle. God, give us a greater vision of the Christian life that it's a warfare, not a picnic. It's a warfare, not a place to party or just have fun. God, thank you. And thank you, dear God, for the power and strength and health to deliver this message to the flock that you've entrusted me to pastor. With every head bowed, every eye closed, Felt like we ought to slow up just a little bit because I wanted to get out of here because it's almost 12.30. But I want to tell you something. If you'll get this truth, you'll thank God for overtime. So I don't apologize for it. If you'll get this truth, 
you can defeat Satan when he attacks your children. And some of y'all been through some horrendous attacks in your lifetime with your children. Horrendous. The devil's tried to steal them. The devil's tried to kill them and destroy them. If you'll get this truth, your marriage will never be the same. You'll be spiritually one because it's the only way to defeat the divider. And some of you have been through some horrendous attacks on your marriage. Let me say, preacher, this morning, I want to apply the message. And tonight I'm going to come back and ask God to help me to learn how to apply it. Put on the whole armor of God. That's your prayer request this morning. Would you lift your hand up high for prayer? I want to agree with you. I mean, say, preacher, I'm going through a battle. Nobody knows the battle. But the devil's been attacking over time my children, my marriage, maybe your health, maybe your thought life, maybe your purity. I don't know. But you say, preacher, I'm facing some battles I can't handle. I need prayer. Would you slip your hand up high for prayer? God bless you. God bless you. And don't you judge anybody that's honest enough to come to this altar and say they can't handle the battle. Because you ain't been in their battle. You don't know what they're facing. And don't you be quick to judge. Because, friends, some people have been faithful and they're still going through the battles. And as Josh said, he don't pick on the Judases. The devil picks on the Pauls and the Makings. Does anybody in here say, Preacher, I'm not even saved, but I sure would like to be and pray for me. Would you slip your hand up if you're not saved? You're not saved, but you'd like to be. I want to pray for you. Father, use this message. I hope the congregation sensed the seriousness as it was preached. Because, Lord, we can get knocked down but if we'll remember who you are, we won't get knocked out. So encourage your saints to be more yielded and more faithful is our prayer in Jesus' name.